PN hasn't shown back up. He cut himself off, but he hadn't joined the call yet again. He'll call in a minute. So, welcome to the Sunday services. Ha <laughs> ha. <laughs> we are all here to worship nothing. <laughs> the big, big, grand, glorious nothing. <laughs> and the best part about uh, worshiping nothing is that you don't have to care. <laughs> There's no care, no worries, no problems. In fact, DJ just asked me a question about the word care. And the first place that we need to go is to define the word and what it means, because the word has more than one meaning. And I think that it did. And in fact, you continued to use the word while you slipped, while you slipped in a new meaning for it and carried on from there. You made a left turn without a, putting out your arm for a left turn signal. OK, so let's um, let's go for care by going to the, the issue of freedom. Because freedom is different than caring, but in fact, in some cases is exactly opposite. But there are two kinds of freedoms that we have in the world and two uses for the word freedom. One is the freedom to and the other one is the freedom from. Now, the freedom to means um, uh, in fact, freedom too is wrong view. That things are cheap, they're free. I can go get what I want, and I'm not going to cause any repercussions. And a, an extreme example of that in the time of the Buddha is the guy who can go to the Ganges this side and kill 500 cattle, and then swim across the river and kill 500 cattle on the other side, and he will suffer no damage because the comma machine does not exist. Comma won't affect him. Okay. The reality, though, is, is that if you start killing some guy's cows, all the guys in their neighborhood are going to be there. I don't think he can get 500 killed. <laughs> I think maybe 20 is his limit without a, uh, an AK-47 or something. And so um, the possibility of the absurd is recognizing that comma is not some magical machine in the sky, but it is actual wake or the damage that we do. It's our weight that when we swing around, we do damage with it. So freedom too is dangerous because it's actually giving ourselves permission to full steam ahead damn the torpedoes which works in a movie <laughs> <laughs> but the uh, the point is is that there is also the freedom from and the freedom from is let, let us say the full steam ahead or it's freedom from. So here's an example. You got a young teenage boy who wants to go to town and he wants to borrow the keys for the car from his dad. And he wants to have the freedom to drive the car and go where he wants and do what he wants to do. His, his brother is sitting there on the couch because he is free from the desire to go take the car someplace. 
you get the distinction. One of us is trapped by our freedom too, and the other one is free because he's free from that trap of the freedom too. So we can now look at the word care because the care has the same sort of barbs with it. And you use the word about with it, care about. And there's another word that we can use. It changes the definition slightly, and that's the word care for. Mm. And that changes the whole use of the word and the meaning of it. Care about and care for. So we can care about money, but there's not much caring for it. I mean, even investing in the stock market is still caring about it. So we can see it now in the sense of either ownership and control in the sense of caring about. But I care about my daughter, therefore she better do what I tell her to do. As opposed to care for her, which is nourishing her. So this is a, actually this kind of caring then goes very well into the understanding that Freud had about the superego state that was carried on with um, uh, Eric Byrne when he um, changed the name from the superego into the parent, looking at in fact that there's two kinds of parenting, the, one, the parents who care about their kids and then the ones who care for their kids. But these are the two kinds of ways of caring. And that what I have been inviting all of you guys to do, hello, Ting. Glad to see you back. So, uh, the, the parenting then has two styles, the style of caring about, which means ordering about, and then the child is going to learn a whole lot of rules, because this is where, all, in fact, this is the Sivabhati Paramasa, is the caring about. And the caring for then is the nurturing. So you have two kinds of parenting. You have critical parents and you have nurturing parents. And each one of us had uh, two individual parents. Most of us had, but anyway, we, did, we're, we were parented by something. We got here. You're an adult now. You made it. Congratulations. You're alive. You were parented well enough to make it here. And that parenting was a mixture of critical parenting and nourishing parenting or the caring for versus the caring about. And each individual parent will move back and forth between those two things ignorantly without knowing what they're doing. And in fact, uh, it almost always starts off in nurturing parent when the child is a very tender infant. And in fact, an example of that is the new puppy that we've got. We've got a six-year-old puppy, and I've been letting her bite my fingers and all kinds of stuff. But last night, she went too far. And because she went too far, now times are beginning to change. I'm beginning to start teaching her. For instance, um, I've decided to not, uh, because I've actually lost a hard drive before with a puppy, I've decided not to let this puppy under my feet where there's a hard drive or two that that's my working station. So um, now, instead of just picking her up, I've actually 
yelled at her, told her no, slapped her face, and picked her up and pushed her out because now it's time for her to learn the word no. Okay, so this is an example now that I've actually intentionally changed from the nurturing parent into the critical parent. You got to give them a little bit of rules. If you don't, if you give a child 100% nurturing parent, which happens sometimes, you'll wind up with a Caligula or something. There, uh, when when a child learns no boundary, then he will see it as freedom to do anything he wants. So we have to start our children off with enough of the critical thinking to get them to survive. That this is why we teach the precepts to kids in the watch here in Thailand. This is why we give kids uh, rules in school to get the kids to start following the rules. I don't remember the name of the preacher, but there was one who uh, he was actually a Unitarian and he gave a talk one time that has been published over and over and over again. And the, basically the name of it is everything that I ever needed to know I learned in kindergarten. And then the list of things that he learned were very interesting. He learned to put away his toys. He learned to stand in line. He learned to shut up and listen. OK, well, listen, look at these things. These are actually rules that we need to follow learning in childhood that are very beautiful, very valuable and very wholesome and actually quite wise and noble. But no child is going to see those things as wise and noble, but he will see them as rules. And so this is where the precepts start. This, the precepts start with the phrase from changing uh, from the nurturing into the rule-based system that now is our society. But if it goes fully that way, then we've got neurotic people. And if we don't go enough that way, then we have sociopaths. So this is the kind of way of looking at it is, is that we need a kind of a balance for the way that we raise our children. And mostly kids don't get a balanced. Bringing up. That sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. Uh, and sometimes it's very bad and sometimes it's traumatic. And if it's too good all the time then that gives the child the idea of freedom to do anything he wants to do. And so we have to have a kind of a balance in there. And guess what? No child that I know of has ever had the actual right balance. We all grow up out of balance somehow. <laughs> and it, it seems to be that what what has happened is, is that most of us are out of balance in the sense of too many rules, too many ways to things are supposed to be, too many ideals, too many um, supposed tos. And we do that on our own mind, and that's what makes us unhappy a lot, is we go around telling ourselves things to do. Why? Because we care about ourselves. <laughs> And what it would be much useful, more useful, is to start practicing Anapanasati in a way that we begin to care 
for ourselves to move out of that critical thinking back into the uh, nurturing, the, the creating a family within yourself, bringing that parent ego state to that set of rules, that, that tyranny, that critical part of the mind to soften up and to start to care about the child inside. That's the part that feels. That's the part that feels what? I'll give you a list. The, the part of us that feels is the part that we feel sad, angry, hurt, doubt, sad, grief, despair, those things. But there is also the feeling of comfort, satisfaction. Did I mention fear over here? So the opposite of that is being fearless. Okay. So what we're going to have to do is to start treating ourselves differently from the parent ego state so that the child inside will respond and react in a nurturing, safe way. But that puppy, I have to give her a whole lot of freedom, but there has to be some boundaries there someplace. So this is a way of thinking about that we have to have a balance of care for and care about, but we almost always err on the side of caring about. And we need to rebalance that into the caring for, and this is actually the practice of Anapanasati, which now we can now relabel this stuff as caring about is unwholesome thoughts and caring for are wholesome thoughts. And so if we start caring for ourselves and having wholesome thoughts, then we uh, are practicing in a way that will bring about wholesome feelings as opposed to the unwholesome feelings. And we only have just a few. I mean, you can name the various feelings. There's only about 10 of them. And that the Buddha lists those things uh, in, in the two groups are the pleasure and the unpleasure. But the problem with the pleasure is, is that if it is an ignorant pleasure, then we begin to say, oh, I like it, I want it, I've got to have it. But we do that with things ignorantly that we don't have. We need to start to learn to do that wisely in the sense of longing for and liking very much and holding to the nurturing and the comfort and the feeling good about ourselves. Because why? Because that we can actually do. That is not a kind of dukkha of wanting something that you don't have. In this case, we actually want to care for ourselves and we do, and then it's satisfying. Okay, so we really need to learn to care for ourselves rather than caring about ourselves. But caring about ourselves is almost always the instinct of self-preservation, which is based in fear and all of the problems that come. In other words, it's about danger. It's all about danger. And what happens when we grow up is, is that we tend to forget all about all of the good things that happen, but we remember the dangerous things. Okay. That of 
of all the conversations that you've had uh, one or two years ago, the only ones you remember are the ones that were had tension and arguments. You know. Someone's microphone's got some background noise to it. I see most of them are off, so it might be Marcus or DJ's the only ones. Mm. <laughs> so, anyway, um, we have actually now taken the word care and caring and broken it apart to recognize that it's got these two sides to it. And that it really does fit in with with the Dhamma. Now, one of the points that we need to go to with this is that there is a sutta by the name. Uh, it's actually sutta number 86. And the 80s is the, uh, uh, the dealing with the kings, the royalty. And sutta number, is it 86? No, that's the Anguilla Mala Sutta. It's one of the 80s anyway. The name of it, maybe it's 88, uh, is getting old forgetting <laughs> in any case the name of the sutta is grief comes from those who are dear grief comes from those who are dear one of you guys can look that up should be very easy to find to see what the Majjhima Nikaya and um, <clears throat> the the quick story is is that uh some layman was passing by when the Buddha was teaching about this, that grief comes from those who are dear. He heard that and he took it to a gambling game, dice or bones or whatever they were doing, and discussed it with them. All the Buddha says that uh, grief comes from those who are dear to us. And those guys didn't agree at all. Oh, I really love my family. I have great joy for my family. I care about my family, right? And while they were discussing this at that particular uh, gambling game, uh, a servant of the king walked by and heard this argument too, that this was what the Buddha was saying, and she took it's it back 87. to the... 87, great, okay. <laughs> well, that's interesting. I, you know, I was at least getting in the black part of the target, no bullseye, <laughs> but an 86 and an 88, and it's right between them. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, she goes back to the palace and tells uh, the queen and the, actually there's an interesting part of the story but I'll finish that later she, she, the queen tells King Pasanati King Pasanati was already a personal friend of the Buddha and so was the queen and this servant girl then at that time became their liaison. And so she spent quite a lot of time going back and forth between the king now and uh, uh, the queen to the Buddha to ask questions. And in the process, she becomes Sotapan. So that's an interesting side point to the question. And so uh, she goes back to the Buddha to ask, why, sir, please explain to me why it is true that uh, grief comes from those who are dear. And so he explains that to her, that if you have a son and you care about him and he dies, then you will have grief through your ignorance. 
if you have a son and he has a great big argument with you and blows up and walks storms out of the house, then you will have grief. That things end and anything that you love, you have a relationship with and that relationship is going to end. It can end in a blow up, it can end in a slow death. And the thing of it is, is that if you care for your son, you will let him storm off. You'll let him go in peace. Or in pieces. But when we care about them, then we cling to them. And that's what causes the grief. Is He's not supposed to die on me. Right? That's an old rule that we're following. You're not supposed to die. I don't want you to die. You're not supposed to die. The reality is, is the son died. <laughs> And we can accept that. So the part of this story is, is this uh, most interesting. Is, is that she comes back to the king and the queen and explains this to them. And the end of the sutta is there at the end when they're beginning to recognize that not only is this true, but it's going to change now forever the relationship between the king and the queen. Because they used to care about each other a lot. And now they'll begin to start caring for each other. So that's a very interesting way of uh, introducing this this issue. Uh, uh, the point is, is that anything that you that you hold dear, that you want, better say it like this: that if you want something that you don't have, that is suffering. So you work really hard in that suffering to get what you want, so that you relieve that suffering. But now that you've got it. You're going to have to work really hard to keep it because you don't want to lose it. So you're going to have the suffering and the dukkha and the responsibility of taking care of it, whatever it is. It may be a son or a house or a car. It doesn't matter what it is that you're clinging to and care about. You've got to care about it because you don't want it to die or don't want it to lose it because you would feel bad just like you did when you wanted it. And then eventually you're going to lose it anyway. Then you're really going to feel bad. And this is the natural progression of wanting things that we don't have. They are hard for us in the beginning. They're hard for us in the middle. And then they get really hard at the end. <laughs> so if we can modify that from that critical way of looking at it into the nurturing way of looking at it, the way that we're teaching here is, is that then the Buddhist path becomes very easy and natural and good in the beginning. It's good in the middle and it's good in the end. And so anyone who is having, let us say, a problem with their meditation practice, that's really goes against that that a, a correct meditation practice is about the Buddha is not going to have difficulties. It's going to have pleasure and joy and success right from the get go. And it's going to continue along with that. So if you're not getting the joy and the nurturing and the comforts that you want. And ultimately hope that you'll get out of meditation, start doing that right now. To start to care. For. Nurture yourself anytime you see one of the things that's very interesting is, is that we want to be very good and therefore we want to be. Um, let us say we don't want to be caught 
in a lie. And so if we are caught in a lie, we will prevaricate, we'll dance around, we'll try to make it true. In other words, we start to lie about the lie that we've just been caught in. We're now a politician. <laughs> but the, the, the reason that we lie about getting caught lying is because we've got a rule, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not bear false witness, right? But if we are nurturing to ourselves, then we'll say, yeah, you know, I did tell a lie, didn't I? Right, that's really what happened. Let's see if we can fix that right now on the spot without having it to go into getting caught a second time telling a second lie, just covering up the first. But in fact, we won't often get going a web of lies, a web of views. Sometimes we don't even remember which story that we told. But it's really easy to tell the truth because that's the part that we remember. And not only that, but that's more wholesome. And that has to do then of taking responsibility for our behavior. In other words, if I have done something wrong, I want to know about it so that I can fix it. As opposed to I don't want to know about what I've done wrong because I've got a better opinion of myself than that. Which means that I'm now going to start sitting on that pile of garbage. So it's better to clean things out. So this is another way of looking at it that when we follow the rules, we wind up being dishonest because we break the rules anyway. It's better to throw the rules out and be nurturing with ourselves so that we can be honest and get over our bad feelings and get over our problems and have a happy life. So this is a very interesting word, uh, DJ, that you brought up, this word about caring. Yeah. It's really helpful, though, I, I think, that distinction between the caring about and the caring for. And I think that really points to that, what, what I was kind of bringing up there with the, you know, allowing, you know, the care. Because it's like, oh, yeah, caring for ourselves in terms of like, yeah, with the practice and all that, you know, and, and just coming back to the body and the feelings and all that good stuff. But then, you know, when there's that caring about, there's can be that clinging, that attachment, and that can, you know, give rise to to dukkha, right? So that's, that's very much that distinction is very helpful. Yeah, thank you. Yes, and we're generally not ever taught about that distinction. But that needs that's part of the investigation that we have to, to make is, is that, oh, this word care is used in different ways and it's got different outcomes. And sometimes we mix them and bring go back and forth between the two and not even recognize that we've changed definitions in flight. Marcus, you were about to say something. I was just agreeing, but um, yeah, I think it's already been mentioned before, but it is just, I'll restate it again, um, that the caring about is about, I think it's about something like far off in, in the distance or it's, it's conceptual, uh, trying to get something or trying to obtain something or yeah, trying to change something. Yeah, wanting something you yeah, don't have um, really exactly. is far off, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> yeah, whereas DJ said coming back to the feelings and coming back to the body, caring for if, if you're doing it the right way will really bring you back to the senses and become more aware of what's going on because uh, you want them to nurture 
in the best way possible, you bring everything to that. You know, the image just struck with that is the father and the son with the son dying. Going back to that, the father who cares about his son is going to rush the child to the hospital. The one who cares for the son is going to hold him in his arms while he dies. That sounds really tender, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> So, one of them is a beautiful scene, and the other one is a mad dash that ends in death. So, does anybody have any questions about this? This has been a very short talk, but we, I think we... <laughs> it's also a direct sequel to, um, to last, the last talk that we had with the UK Sangha. What, what's that? Tell me about it. It's a it's a follow up. Um, uh -huh. In fact, some of the, uh, the in fact, la last time we talked, you used the same example of um, of the son wanting to go off in his dad's car and get the keys. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it was about freedom from uh, rather than freedom to. So it's a nice little follow up to that. To be honest with you, I used to have a huge, huge grab back of stories and jokes and all kinds of stuff to teach the Dhamma and over the years I've forgotten most of it so I tend to repeat myself <laughs> but the message is always the same yeah Dhammarato I have a question if you can yes me. yeah uh, you mentioned about the Dhamma being good in the beginning the middle and the end and then something came to mind is this sutta about the four kinds of paths uh, the the slow and pleasurable path the slow and the path with dukkha and the fast path with dukkha and then the fast path with sukha what does that refer to uh first off do you know which sutta you're talking about uh i can uh, search it up okay see while we're talking about it if you can fish up the stores to this um i have heard it before not only have I heard it before, but I have done uh, over time try to plug this into various situations to see what's going on. Because, uh, I mean, just logic, which this sounds like, there's got to be logic that is either fast and, and slow and hard and soft. And so the slow, hard way, I would say, would be the Mahasi method. Marcus, you joke. <laughs> you laugh. Hey, yeah, yeah, I was I expecting everybody to hell with laughter. Okay. <laughs> and uh, and and his first cousin, the Gawanka method. Those things are hard, and they're slow, because they they don't start off with uh, making it easy and nurturing from the beginning. Okay, so the the skills that we need to learn then would be the fast or the slow. But if we've got skills already, then we can capitalize on those skills. Then it makes the path quicker because you've already developed some of the skills. And there's quite a number of skills. 
And a number of those skills also spill over into ordinary things, that people use these same skills for ordinary things. One of them, by the way, is the skill of being able to read. I mean, that's quite a skill that you guys have got, and I capitalize on that. I know that you guys are literate. That's why I use such fancy words sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, other skills could be learned in martial arts. One of the world, one of the skills that martial arts teaches is to be in the present moment. If you're not watching what's going on, you're going to get a, a, a face full of fist or something. So you got to watch what you're doing. But most martial artists are not watching what they're doing all the time or much of the time or back and forth in it and out. They only go into that state when they're in, in the dojo or in in the ring. So it's highly selective for them, but they're developing the skill anyway. And possibly the most um, uh, striking example of that is Musashi, who did the, the book called the, uh, the Five Rings. Marcus, I'm sure you're aware of this book. I, I've actually skimmed it. I haven't actually read it before, like in full, but I, I talked with a friend recently who's been into martial arts all his life, and he, uh, we had a conversation about it recently. It was quite nice. Mm -hmm. Yes, and so I've also dabbled in, in uh, martial arts, dabbled into the point up, up to a, a brown belt. So that's all that I've gotten, but <laughs> I have been, but I dabbled with some really, really good black belts. Almost got my arm broken by a black belt. What was happening? That's a very interesting story. He had just gotten out of prison and went back to the dojo to say, can he um, start practicing again? And the, um, uh, the Senzai said, that yes, but you've got to start over from the very beginning. And he did. And I remember when he graduated out of the old class into the class that I was in, I think that we were uh, green getting ready for the brown belt at that time. And um, I blocked him and he almost broke my arm. That most of all the students, when you know, you're taking you to hit that, that block, you're hitting, you know, flesh the way that you would when they're not this guy's arm was a brick <laughs> <laughs> because he had remembered enough about how to tighten the muscles so he had his muscles so tight that when i hit it i hit it with my flabby muscles and i learned a lesson about that that was a really really important lesson so anyway uh you have but that has to be done in time at the right moment so you got to get that muscle quick and get it strong immediately or you're going to get hurt okay uh so martial arts then the end of the story of musashi was is that he was he was a samurai and that he was quite famous for two things we'll give one is is that at the age of 12 he killed a samurai with a stick at the age of 12 he killed a professional soldier a swordsman, and he killed him with a stick. You got to give him one for that. <laughs> the next one is, is that in battle, he picked up someone's broken sword and started using, because the katana is supposed to be really forceful with two hands. He was the one that developed the single hand because he's going to use his left hand for this broken sword. And so this is the reason why uh, some uh, katanas will have a short sword with it is because of this Musashi. 
But at the end of all of this stuff, when the Rowan happened, uh, excuse me, when the um, when the Shogunate was re let us say reestablished, there was no room or reason for all of these samurai, these well-trained warriors, and so they became ruin. What ruin means is they were there were gangs of them, and they still floated around, and they became robbers and all this kind of stuff. But Musashi, he went to the cave and became enlightened because he already had developed most of the skills that he needed while he was a warrior. The same thing is true about people who are in math, computer science, music. I've got my favorites, you know, the kinds of things that I've done in my past. I can see that these things were uh, developmental skills that had helped me along the way. And I can see that that happens with others. So that part, going back to that question now, haven't been too far away from it, I hope. And that is that there's a number of skills that we can develop along the way that will help this make quick order out of it. I would say that one of my um, uh, would be favorites would be people like I would really like to have George Garland uh, 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 Carlin as a student. I would really like to have, be dead now, but you know who I'm talking about. I really like a smart, quick comedian. They make really excellent Dhamma students. Hmm. Okay, so this is the way that we're looking at it is what skills that someone has developed in the slow way is either because they're not practicing correctly or because they are deficient in all the skills that they're, they're going to need. The skill of sati, the skill of being able to focus, the skill of uh, discernment, that in fact wisdom like happiness are skills to be developed. And some people have developed them more than others, okay? Coming out of um, critical mind into nurturing mind, that's a skill that needs to be developed. Surprise, surprise, most women are able to do that naturally, and when they are very successful at nuns, they do it, but many, many women don't really make it as nuns. And I got some things to say about that, but that's not part of the topic here. Uh, so let's look at now at the hard versus the soft. Because the hard and the soft has to do again with whether or not we're going to do it with <laughs> caring about ourselves or caring for ourselves. You guys already got me on this, I can tell. Yeah, right. Thought, yeah. Okay, so this is what's going to determine it. That if you really want and really work hard, you really care about what you're doing, uh, and you're ferocious about it, you're going to have a long, tough slog. Unless you've already developed the skills, and then you can make a short, tough slog out of it. Or you can make it um, uh, quick and easy, but that doesn't happen very often. In fact, I think, in fact, the ideal path is the slow and easy. That's my style. <laughs> the slow easy I'm in no hurry to become completely enlightened I'm just happy right now where I am no need for nothing much else this is good enough so that would also be the quality of the slow easy the, the, the emphasis is, is upon the easy make it easy take it easy 
and develop the skills. And as you develop the skills, that will determine the fast or the slow part. Ken, does that answer your question about those uh, four logical? Yeah, yeah, it does. And I uh, found a sutta that uh, speaks about this. It's called, it's from uh, AN4.162. Called, yeah, uh, yeah. So it speaks oh, your mic is really noisy. I'm sorry for this, some wind. Uh, I found the I found the sutta as well. Um, oh, I good. Think, yeah, it's Agnutra uh, Nikaya four dot one hundred and sixty two. Ah, it's the Agnutra Nikaya. Okay, and it's in the fours. I would have suspected that if it was the Agnutra, it would have been in the fours. And so it talks about, number, go ahead. A suit number for 162. And it talks about uh, how, depending if someone is of a, either, either highly uh, passionate, aversive, or deluded nature, then uh, that will be a pain. That will, those people will generally have a painful practice. But depending on the Oh, well, I nailed of, that one, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Depending on the strength of the five faculties, then uh, that that determines how fast it is. There you go, the skills. Okay. So I didn't even know that that was a sutta. I had heard about that, and this is what I could make of it. And so it looks like that we're... Uh, so what did it say exactly about the five faculties? I can, uh, let's see, okay, so I can read it if you want. Okay. Some of it. Yeah. And which is painful practice with slow intuition. There is the case where a certain individual is normally of an intensely passionate nature. He perpetually experiences pain and distress born of passion. Or he is normally of an intensely aversive nature. He perpetually experiences pain and distress born of aversion. Or is normally of an intensely deluded nature. He perpetually experiences pain and distress born of delusion. These five faculties of his, the faculties of sada, of virya, of sati, of samadhi, and of panya, appear weak. Gosh, they're listing, they're, they're listing all of the skills that we've been talking about right there and calling them faculties. Okay, got it. Yeah. Um, because of their weakness, he attains only slowly the immediacy that leads to the ending of asavas or effluence. Uh -huh. This is called painful practice with slow intuition. I don't know what, what the intuition is here, but it was translated by Anisiro. Okay, the, and then the it, word intuition there goes back to the uh, Eightfold Noble Path. And this is Sama uh, area. Uh, oh, not Samadhi. Uh, Sankapa, right. It's my favorite. Sankapa. Okay, that's translated as intention. It put meaning as right attitude. You see, the pessimist has a bad attitude. People who are passionate, they want things. They're, you know, they're following the rules, they're caring about it, 
And so that's what makes it slow and painful. Well, actually, that's what makes it painful. And the speed has to do with whether they're developing the skills or not, which you just listed, including sati. And also, samasankapa. Uh, so those are the skills that are to be developed right here on the uh, Eightfold Noble Path. And I find, um, by the way, this sutta was uh, probably later than the Buddha. This was a sutta that was probably developed uh, sometime after the 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 death of the Buddha and uh, the time of Asok. And that's when much of the Angor Nakara was uh, was translated. It also uh, has kind of the flavor of going in the direction of the Vasudhimaga. But by the time that that happens, people with passion and cetera like that, it's broken into that kind of group. So this is an old grouping of students that the Buddha didn't make. He did not make that distinction because he was much more interested in people changing their samasankapa out of uh, critical, demanding it, wanting it, passion into um, nurturing, into the winner's position. Okay, and then sati is the other side of the skill set is, is that you've got to remember. You've got to remember to pay attention. You've got to be able to change what your mind is. You've got to come out of that critical into the... So this is actually quite an interesting sutta. Thank you very much for bringing it up. Yeah, thank you. I have one question regarding this um, categorization of, of people into raga or passion types and dosa types and moha types. But you said that this probably a later uh, categorization. Uh, and and I sort of that makes sense to me because when judging people around, it's very judging them just in terms of the cat those three categories is kind of. Uh, insufficient, I feel. There's not a. I don't really know what a moha character would be like. Can you think of any examples? Moha delicious. Uh, well, loba moha dosa. Um. I know loba, everybody has loba, but moha and, and dosa seems to get translated back and forth as to which one means ill will and which one means ignorance. Because in the Thai language, moho is anger. And uh, you could also see that uh, uh, dosa seems like being diluted or uh, uh, dopey, that kind of thing. And so that would be the way that I would translate that is the moha is anger and the dosa is ignorance. But I have heard and seen them reversed. Bringing confusion into my mind until I recognize that I don't even care which one is which. Because <laughs> I know what they mean. Marcus, do you have a clue? I mean, you've got some tide, but you, do you know which one is which? Oh, uh, no, I had to Google it. I'll search it, sorry. Um, 
I bet you'll come up with both yeah. sides of that coin, though. That's the whole point right. is, is that nobody has a clear definition of which one is which. And I've heard arguments on both sides. But I would call moho would not be delusion. Oh, uh, that, okay. it would be, that it would be anger. The, the sources I'm looking at right now um, both have dos, sorry, moha as delusion, but they're also pulling from Sanskrit too. Which one is delusion? Moha. Maha. Uh, mo moha, I think. Mo moha, right. Okay. That may be part of it then is one's in Sanskrit and the other one's in, uh, in the Pali. That may be part of the issue. But yes, so that's a that's a place where they're backwards from. Oh, actually, actually, this one's coming from Pali and it's the same. Yeah, Moha oh. says delusion. OK. Synonym for Avicca. All right, so now that we've got that straightened out, what was the, uh, the passage again, 10? Read it up again. Yeah, what 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 was the, the, the passage that you were asking about in, in the sense of moha? Oh uh, yeah, so uh, you you mentioned this about this sutta probably being a later uh, addition from the time of Ahsoka because of uh, the sort of the categorization of people into greed, hatred, and delusion types. Mm -hmm. So my question was about what is the let's say the nature of a delusion type of person? Because I, I find that uh, difficult to understand or try to get my, yeah, try to see what, what okay. that person look like and how could that be in myself? I will give you a really, really clear example of that by giving you one word, stupid. You have met people who were stupid in a particular situation <laughs> and you found other people who are stupid almost all the time. Now, uh, I'm going to give you a very clear technical definition of what I mean by stupid by going back to the four quadrants that we've already been through here. And that is, is that um, there would be wise in one quadrant in the upper left or upper right, and um, you would have stupid in the lower left. So what you have in the other quadrants is you have those who are uh, First, let's give our quadrants defined. Okay, what I mean by wise then would be someone who sets up a win-win situation so that he wins and the people or the person that he's working with wins. And a stupid person is one who sets things up so that he loses and everybody else loses. And then a, a criminal is one who sets it up so that he wins and everybody else loses. That's the criminal mindset. I'm not talking about what laws he's broken. I'm talking about a mindset of I'm going to win and you're under my bus. And then the other quadrant that in the upper left is helpless, helpful people. Those who wind up assisting and helping other people and they wind up losing. I give you the typical American citizen. And who wins? The crooks, the criminals, the politicians, big business, CEOs, 
those who don't pay their taxes, et cetera, like that. They're the criminals. And in, and they're, um, uh, let us say, marks are both the stupid and the helpful. The helpful are the employees. The ones who get who will be loyal to something that they should not be loyal to. You've heard about it in the sense of people voting against their own best self-interest. Okay, these are stupid people because they vote against their own best self-interest. But if they uh, vote for criminals, generally what that means is is that there's a lot of ripping off, but the criminals wind up don't, they're not that successful anyway. So these are the four quadrants. And I would say that you would put people who are in that ignorant category is in that uh, quadrant of stupid. And these can be people who have high IQ tests. These people could be college professors. In fact, I've seen many, many uh, uh, school teachers acting very stupidly and they wind up hurting themselves and hurting everybody around them. Good example of that, in fact, is your typical Christian preacher. Who struggles. Okay, and he's doing nobody any good. He's stupid. Because his only option is being a, uh, a Christian preacher is becoming criminal, wising up so that at least he can take advantage of it. But then he'll wind up with a jet plane or something. But always his marks are other stupid people or those caught in the situation of helping other people, donating and not getting any value out of it. But a Buddha, a wise person, a statesman, an honorable person, someone who is uh, taking care of business correctly, someone who really cares for themselves and for others, is going to set it up so that everybody wins. Everybody gets some sort of benefit. And what that means is, is that we are in that point, the four, so the, where's the four quadrants in this with the Moha Loba Hondosa? We could look at it like that in the sense of the ignorant, the really, really ignorant or the stupid. Then you have uh, uh, the angry, which would then be the criminals and they'll go get whatever they want in the hell with you. And then you have uh, the, the pleasure seekers who are the helpful ones who wind up losing out because they don't get what they want. And then the fourth quadrant is the person who is free from all three of those things. The winner. Who sets up a winning situation for everyone. Which is back to Sangha again. Dan, did that answer your question? Yes, that was a very good answer. Thank you so much. And, uh, for some reason, I never thought about it in this way. It was, it was kind of obvious. <laughs> it is. The, the, the Dhamma is so clear and obvious when you just look at it or hear it explained and you put it together and say, darn right, that's right. It couldn't be any other way. <laughs> but I have one more question. Oh, that would be okay. <laughs> how, how, to, how to then recognize delusion arising in the mind? What are the characteristics and qualities of delusion? 
because I wouldn't be Loba to... and Dosa is very easy, but the anger and 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 greed very easy to see. But delusion is a bit uh, can be a bit vague. So what are the qualities and characteristics to notice? All right, I'll I'll give you a set of clues that you can use to figure that out for yourself. But I could not give you a blanket definition. Right? I don't know. Which is kind of delusional. <laughs> no, it's kind of ignorant because I know I don't know. That's the distinction, by the way, that I'll start off with is ignorance. Real ignorance is when someone admits that they don't know because they know that they don't know. That's that's an easy kind of ignorance. We don't have that much. Normally, what we have is, is that I I think I know I believe, but I have no clue about whether it's real or not. I haven't tested it out. This is the stuff, this is the basis of religion. This is the basis of belief. This is the basis of delusion, is when we think something's true when it's not. So a way then that you can cure yourself of that is by catching it first with the use of the word belief. If you ever say the word believe, like I believe it's raining, you should stop yourself and go check to see, is it raining? And then you can say it is raining. When someone asked me in in North Carolina once, um, uh, Christians, you know, they uh, they do that, and here I am in the Buddhist robes, and so they say, um, "Well, what do you believe?" And I says, "I don't believe in belief. I believe in investigation." And then the other side of it is uh, when someone does test their belief and they find out that it's true then that's knowledge that it's true. Now it's not a belief. They've checked it out. It's true. Like, I believe that uh, the supermarket is having a sale on bananas. But I got to go check it out. And when I see then that the sign is there, that the bananas are not paid for them and the bananas are cheaper now, then I know before that I only heard. Okay. And this brings up the issue of the Kalama Sutta that the Buddha had. Um, uh, which is in the Angatara number in the threes, where uh, he gives a list of things. I think it's got 10 items on it, and I never remember the whole list. But number three, Angatara 3.65, I think, is the one. In any case, don't take things because it's tradition. Don't take things because it belongs to our culture. Don't take things because some teacher said it. Don't take things because it was in a book. Don't take things because it fits in with the way that you know things and don't take things even if you remember that that's the case. Only take things as you see them right here, right now. The reality is, is that I don't know that I'll wake up tomorrow. I'm in the habit of waking up on tomorrows, but tomorrow I don't know. Don't know what it's going to be like. I could wake up dead. I'm going to try that sometime. <laughs> I've certainly woken up tired. <laughs> Dead tired. Uh, so we don't know what the future is going to be. And anytime we think we know what the future is going to be, that's delusional because we don't know what the future is going to be. 
also anything that we remember in the past and we think that all oh, because it was in the past i know that it was the case then therefore it must be the case now because i haven't heard anything okay so don't take anything any old news always go back and recheck reevaluate because we get it wrong a lot i give you sutra number 86 and 88 <laughs> when it's actually 87 that's a clear case we need to go check that stuff out again because our memories are garbage they're squat don't trust your own remembrance don't trust your planning in other words what i'm getting to is is that any time that you have thoughts of the past or the future more than likely those are delusional thoughts if you're having thoughts about right here, right now, then you can say those are not delusional. They're investigated. So good luck with that one. Because <laughs> you'll find that you're quite delusional often. Be nurturing for yourself. Don't go into saying, well, I'm going to stop being delusional. You can't do that. You're going to continue to be delusional. The best you could do is know it when it's happening. Check it out. Reinvestigate. If you can, get somebody else to look up the sutta number. (laughs) 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 So does that help you get an idea of what to do with your delusion? Yes, it did help some. Thank you. Okay. All right. Does anybody else have any questions? This has been a fun game today. I've really enjoyed this. A lot of fun. Yeah, I might actually head out uh, now myself. So it's been it's been really wonderful. And thank you for answering my question too. So. Okay. Well, let's finish the call now. Then, does All anybody right. else have any parting shots? Marcus, you have anything to say? Um, I was just think I was just thinking of a memory. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was thinking of good situations. Obviously, it's it's a good thing to do all the time to like investigate. But um, I mean, that I think the really good time to do it or to remember is is like when you wake up in the middle of the night and want to go to the bathroom or, or something like that. You know, do you remember? Do you remember where things are like? If there's anything on the floor where the wires are. You know, um, any animals, big spiders, you know, stuff like that in Thailand. Um, you know, just wet, wet move spots, slow and spots where the puck around. Yes, we yeah. got all of that yeah. stuff. <laughs> yeah. Don't just walk around thinking things are the same because um, this is a new moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's exactly right. Watch where you're going. That's the old stump your foot in the night issue. <laughs> If if you get up out of bed to go uh, uh, go to the bathroom and don't turn the lights on because you know your way to the bathroom and you stump your toe, that's an excellent example of delusional thinking <laughs> right there. <laughs> <laughs> because wise thinking is to recognize, hey, there, the floor may be changed. I should turn the light on. That's wise ignorance. Wise ignorance say, let me take a look. Let me see what it is. And delusion is thinking we already know what it is. 
when in fact it's not floor. It's a dog poop. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I just got this stuff off my foot. No, there's still some of it there. <laughs> anyway, guys, this has been really great. Thank you so much. David, we'll Thank see you. Thanks see for you coming too. on. Nice to see you, Tommy. And somebody nice to says live, Yasan. Hi to you. I didn't see you. But anyway, thank you so much for enjoying the conversation. This has been great. A little bit of Dhamma here. This conversation was good in the beginning, good in the middle, and now it's ending <laughs> up just fine, isn't it? Thank you so much, guys. I really appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks, all. Bye. <laughs>